John Stott wrote a commentary on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it's a great commentary, but uh, the byline underneath, the subtitle is A, a Christian Counterculture. Now, I love that term, and I want to, I want to adopt that for the, the latter part of Ephesians because I'm, I'm convinced that that's what Paul is uh, teaching the people who are in Ephesus. Remember, they, they were in a minority. Now, sometimes if you're in a minority, it's easier to consider yourself a counterculture. And the reason I say that is, uh, and they were a persecuted minority. Uh, people didn't like what they stood for, what they believed. And uh, so they struggled with that as, as a church. The reason I say that is because I want to caution us. Because sometimes we don't feel like we're in uh, the minority. And we might feel like, well, you know, it's okay to be a, a Christian. And it is okay. We are free in our country. We should always thank God for that. We should always take advantage of that. But at the same time, I'm convinced that when there is that freedom and it's perfectly acceptable, that it's easy to drift to become more and more like the culture where we live. Because it's okay. And so it's possible I mean, uh, the, the Ephesians saw that this new community was totally different than anything that uh, they had heard of. And in the, the uh, chapters 4 through 6, he is talking about what the new community looks like. But I want us to, to consider, are we truly, as Christians, as followers of Christ... Are we counter to the culture that is around us to the point where we have a witness, where people take notice in the positive sense, not because we're obnoxious, but because we are, we are different and we are different because we're following Christ and we represent him. So let's take a look in this chapter uh, again, he's, he's getting just very practical. That's going to be the case from now till the end of Ephesians. And from now till the end of Ephesians is from now till the end of uh, uh, June and end of July, okay? <coughs> so you can brace yourself. It's okay. There's, there are things about the family, and we're going to stop and, and look at marriage and family from a biblical perspective. We've got to do that because that's an area where we are increasingly becoming uh, counter-cultural. So let's, let's read in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with, with verse 25. Therefore, and uh, of course you always, you see that connecting word, he had ended the previous paragraph with talking about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. So this is what he's saying, the therefore, because you've, you're, you're no longer, you shouldn't be acting like you did before 
you were a believer. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. (coughs) Lord, even some of the things that we have just read, well, virtually all of them go counter to what we would do naturally. And so we need to be empowered here. We need first to understand what you're calling us to do, and then, and then we need the empowerment of your spirit, lest, lest we grieve him. So will you do that in these moments? We're asking for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let's jump in. He, he begins by talking about truth-telling. He says this, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, falsehood would have been with the old self that you were to have put off. Let every, each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So the Ephesians had, by, by coming to Christ, which is the first three chapters of Ephesians, it talks about him designating us before the foundation of the world in his, in his love for us. And then it talks about what it cost him, and then it talks about our response by faith, with faith even being a gift of God. And so in in turning to Christ, the Ephesians had turned from everything false, from false religion, false gods, false idols, from Satan who is a liar, and turned from that to that which is true, to Jesus. So as believers... Paul is saying, that is how it must be. You can't go back to the falsehood 
that characterizes those who are outside of the truth. Not telling the truth is an offense. When we were raising our children, that was the highest offense, to tell a lie, to not tell the truth. In fact, if you told a lie to cover up an offense, the lie was more serious. That was, became the bigger offense. And so, I, I, I like that he says this first of all, that this is a key, that this should characterize what we as the new community look like. How do we, uh, what is this falsehood? I think a couple of things. One would be obviously deliberate lie or misleading. Are you as amazed as I am at how public figures so often play so fast and loose with the truth? Is anyone else here amazed about that? And, and in our day, and to me, the reason I say in our day, because what really amazes me is how can, how can they think that they can get away with it. But that doesn't seem to enter their minds. In other words, make a public statement and everybody's got their cameras on you and phones on you and they're recording you and so on and then at a later point, flat out making the opposite statement and acting as if that's the truth. Even though somebody calls up this tape over here. It's, I think it's amazing in our day. And here's the problem. What do people say about that? Oh, they all lie. Have you heard that? I've heard that. Well, they, they all lie. As if we expect that to be the case, we're not surprised when it is the case, and it's okay because they all lie. That should never be the case with believers, ever. Now, that's the, that's the flat-out lie, the falsehood that one tells. Uh, I, I think it's possible that within the believing community, it may fall in the category, the falsehood in, in our day, more of unintentional because we aren't in the habit of really cultivating the truth. We aren't really as careful with the truth as we should be. And part of it is because we live in a culture that, that virtually accepts um, not telling the truth. Samuel Johnson, uh, writing some wise words to parents, <clears throat> says it, is, it was uh, more from carelessness about truth than from intentional lying that there is so much falsehood in the world. And I think that's possible in, in Christian families. I had a, a, a friend who was a pastor uh, 
this isn't around here, so don't try to figure out who it was. But uh, I was, I, we had brec- a breakfast meeting with several pastors and had a good time and enjoyed the fellowship with one another and so on. Then we all went back to our churches. And later that day, I got a call from him. And uh, he said, I just want to ask your forgiveness. And I said, okay, what do, you, what do you want to ask my forgiveness for? He said, earlier today, do you remember when, you know, we were at Shoney's or whatever it was, and um, I told such and such a, a story. He said, uh, I exaggerated with that. Now, my reaction to him was this. Oh, you don't need to ask forgiveness for that. And he said, oh, yes, I do. That, that wasn't the truth. I exaggerated, you know. And so my initial response was kind of the same thing. Oh, we all do that, basically. But as, you know, as, as we continued to talk, I realized it was a burden on him, and he realized that he had not been careful with the truth, and I said, of course I forgive you. And then I thanked him for being so careful. What a great example that was to all of us. That's, that's what the Christian community should be characterized by when it comes to the truth. Think about your own household. What are your, child, what are your children seeing with you? Now, I know nobody answers the phone anymore, but pretend you answered the phone. Well, you don't, right? Phone call, Dale Weldon. Okay, we'll screen this one, right? But remember when we used to answer phones and, you know, somebody that you didn't want to talk to and they say, oh, hi, Bob, you know, and the other, the other parents going, I'm not here, I'm not What are you teaching your children when that happens? We have to be uh, scrupulous with the truth in our household. Paul says in the new community, there's a different way. Back in verse 15, he had said, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ. (coughs) So the truth uh, versus falsehood. Secondly, he talks about dealing with anger. Be angry and do not sin. Verse 26, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, Paul is saying here, there is a a way to have anger and not sin. In other words, anger in and of itself is not a sin. That's clear here. We know that that, you know, the, the father experiences anger, the son experiences anger, I would assume the spirit experiences anger as well, and there is no sin there. But I also want to give you a caution. Think about, because uh, this is what a, a lot of people tend to do. They think about Jesus as the example of how to uh, be angry and not sin. And of course he's a, a, you know, an example. He's the perfect example of that. 
And I think about, you know, going in and uh, Jesus seeing the money changers and him throwing over the tables, taking a, a, a whip and driving them out of the temple and so on. He had anger, but clearly he didn't sin because he didn't sin. Here's my caution there. Think about the rest of Jesus' life in terms of anger. You won't find him getting angry when he's mistreated, which he was often. When evil things are said about him personally, which happened often, you will find him getting angry when the honor of the Father is offended. That's where we see him getting angry. His anger was not toward the person, but toward the sin. Let me read you a letter I got, a portion of a letter I got from uh, a friend of mine who is a national in another country. And I can't tell you the country or his name because he's in a, you'll, you'll see, he's in a very sensitive area. Um, I received this this week. He began with a greeting and then he, he said, uh, another deadly attack on two churches in the country has claimed 16 lives of worshipers. wounded 74 people. This news has sent shockwaves of fear to the Christian majority, uh, minority rather, in the country, which is already suffering discrimination as well as militant attacks from the past many years. Right after the suicide attacks on these two churches, fearful, angry, hear that, fearful, angry, young people, took the law into their own hands and killed two men accused of involvement in these attacks. This should not have happened as this is not the Christian way of life. Two policemen who tried to stop the militants from entering the church lost their lives. And then he asked for prayer. Please join us in prayer for wisdom to deal with such painful happenings. Pray for stronger faith, brave spirits to remain peaceful. You see what he's saying? Be brave enough to remain peaceful. Number two, pray that all bitterness, feeling of wrath and anger will depart from the hearts of Christians. And then he gave a third. I'm going to give you the third that he asked for prayer later on. But I hope you can see in this, there's no natural explanation for them not being angry. Now, part of it is that's why he's praying for that. And I have to tell you, I felt anger when I heard about this because I've I've preached to those people in, in their fellowship. And I was rebuked immediately by the things he was praying for and asking to pray for, which I then prayed for myself as well. I don't know any other possible explanation for them wanting to respond 
that way other than Jesus Christ in them who is our peace and is dwelling inside of them. There's no other explanation for that. Paul goes on with a third thing, and that has to do with a work ethic. Look at uh, verse 28. Let the thief, and that's, I would say that's the old self, okay? Remember, putting off the old self, putting on the new self. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let them labor, doing honest work with their own hands, <coughs> so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, I hope you've noticed these things that he's saying. There are parallels with the Ten Commandments. This one certainly is parallel with you shall not steal. And there's lots of ways to steal. We went into this in, in some, some more depth when I was doing my series on the Ten Commandments, so I'm not going to go into the, the, uh, you know, the exegesis of all the ways we might be guilty of that. And one reason is because here I think he is uh, talking about literally being a thief and stealing other people's money and possessions. That's who he is addressing here. Now, actually, I think this is great news. You know why I think this is great news? Because what this tells me is that one or more thieves had come to Christ. Right? He's saying, you all who made a living by being a thief... You, you know, as he's talking to the congregation here, uh, he basically said, you're going to have to find a new occupation because we shouldn't be doing that in the new community. Now, they weren't the first or the last who uh, down through the centuries have come to Christ and had to find a new way to make a living. You know, an honest way, a God-honoring way. But here's what I want you to notice, because this is uniquely, this is, this is countercultural here. Uh, he's talking about the sanctity of labor, and that goes all the way back to the, the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve were to labor even before sin came into the world and the world was cursed, Okay? So don't ever think that work was a part of the curse. What changed about work was that it now would be, after sin came into the world and the curse uh, came into the world, part of that curse is that your work is going to be by the, the sweat of your brow. It's going to be hard because there's thorns and thistles now. So that which you did before, that, that was pure joy. That was what you were created for. It's going to be harder now until, of course, Christ comes again and fixes all that. And then again, our labor will be without the thorns and thistles and not by the sweat of our brow, but with, with great joy for the honor of our king. So he's talking about the sanctity of labor, but here's what I want you to notice here. Because this is the part that's countercultural. 
Because a lot of people out in, in our world, in our culture, would say, yeah, work's good. The difference is the motivation. Did you catch that? He doesn't say, you who were thieves, now you need to work so that you can have nice things. Or you can be secure. Or you can build up stuff so you can give it to your children and grandchildren. Or so you can retire. He doesn't say any of that. Do you see what he says? Why we should work? So you can share with others. He says, in the new community, our motive for working is to give. And that is, that is radical. That is counter-cultural. It is thinking different than the world that we live in. And then Paul talks about how they are speaking. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, for only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, here I'm not talking about speaking Christianese. You know what I mean? Saying words that, you know, it's like a code, only other Christians are going to understand it. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying when he says uh, this, this unwholesome, it's literally, don't let um, uh, corrupting words come from you. And by the way, he's going to expand on this even next week in what we deal with next week. Literally, the word for unwholesome is putrid or rotting. He gives a, us a practical guideline. You only say what is good for building up and giving grace to those who hear. Now, ask yourself... How much of what you say would you no longer say if this was your guideline? Only that which is building up, only that which will give grace to those who hear. Would that cut your conversation in half by a third, you know? Or would you say that that is what I seek to do? I remember, um, and it's not just talking about cursing or, or you know, it, it can be vain talking too. When we were raising our children, we have four kids, and uh, <clears throat> we would, uh, uh, our family lived a long ways away, so we would often make uh, 10, 12-hour trips in our van. Now, finally we got smart and we'd drive all night for the very reason I'm about to tell you. I recall specifically one of our trips, and our daughter Rachel, um, and next time she comes here, you can tell her, you know, that uh, you heard about this. Our daughter Rachel was sitting like back, I still remember where she was. She was like in that seat behind me, and I'm, I'm driving. And Rachel was talking and talking and talking to no one about nothing, okay? Now, here's the, here's the way it, it went with us. I can't say it goes with everybody, but, uh, you know, for like the first hour, it was cute. 
Oh, little girls, you know, they can just talk, and it doesn't matter if anybody answers them. You know, it was cute. And then, then after about an hour, it just got funny. It's like, Rachel, really? You know, you, she's still talking. And then after, I don't know if it lasted two hours till it got to this or not, it just got irritating to everybody in earshot. She, she was continuing to talk. Now, I tell you all that, I, I'm, I, I wasn't, I'm not angry at Rachel. I don't have to go to counseling over this. I, I long ago, you know, it was fine. And we got through the trip. But here's the thing. If you are the adult version of that... Oh, I saw some elbows. Uh, well, you know who you are, or your spouse knows who you are, or your parents. Here's what you need to think Is this going to add to this conversation or take away? Is this going to be helpful or hurtful? When you're in a meeting, a team, ministry team meeting, and by the way, I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. Do I need to speak to this? Will it add to the conversation and move it along? The reason I, I say I'm speaking to myself here is because I can think of a comment to make on every single statement. That's just how my brain works. And so I've had to learn. I still, I'm sure make too many comments. But it's a question we should ask. Is this edifying? Will it bring grace to those who hear? Will it build up? And then he talks about emotions. Uh, before we read about the emotions in 31 and 32, I want, I want to just back up to verse 30 where he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The work of the Holy Spirit is to sanctify us, <laughs> excuse me, to cause us to grow, to be more and more like Jesus. When we result, as some of them did, to stealing and cursing and bitterness, we're not only resisting the Holy Spirit, we are grieving him. Now, that's not the unpardonable sin, but it is sin that has to be dealt with. He says in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Remember, he's talking to believers here. That needs to be put away. Those are what flow from anger. That's what Paul said we must put off. And then he follows it with what they are to put on. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. A couple of questions as we close. Based on that last phrase, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. When it comes to sin... Who has been the most offended? You or God? 
an easy answer. Of course. God is much more offended by sin than any of us. Second question. Who is more forgiving of sin? You or God? Right. And that's why Paul was addressing this and saying, as God in Christ forgave you. How can we not forgive when we've been forgiven so much? Now let me give you the third thing my friend from the other country asked us to pray for. Pray for forgiveness for those who are causing such pain just as Christ our Lord has forgiven. I wrote him back and told him I was going to share this with our congregation today without his name or location. And he says, thank you for your prayers. So I would encourage you to pray for these things for our friends in another part of the world that are in uh, these dire circumstances. But as you do, then pray for us. Pray for us. The reason I wanted to share this letter is just to show you this is not theory that we're talking about. Oh yes, someday, somewhere we should forgive somebody. This is real life for them. And it is for us as well. But there's only one way. You you can't just conjure it up. You can't just say, yeah, I'm going to be more forgiving. I'm going to work hard or I'm going to speak better and all these things. If you do that, it may last till Monday if you're lucky. But instead, it's got to be empowered by God's Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Christ in you. Who always spoke that which was edifying. Who always had control of his emotions. And who always forgave because of the cross. Let's bow together. Lord, as I promised him, we do pray for our friends in this other country. I cannot even imagine controlling my own anger in Uh, if that were happening to our congregation. And I know my friend, he's not controlling his own anger. You are controlling it in him. Thank you for that. And we pray that you would indeed give them forgiving hearts. Help them to be brave enough not to retaliate and to be peaceful. And Lord, I pray that for us as well. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.